Salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast, where we scorch the history books and take back the word harlot one episode at a time. This is a show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. And we try not to get too sidetracked with rants about putrid patriarchy. I'm Kara Mia, a mom of three. And I'm Emily, a fur mom of three. So go grab your pork rinds or your kale chips. A glass of wine or a big old mug of tea. We're not judging. We will keep you entertained while you wash your dishes, wash your feet, or wash that man right out of your hair. This show also contains alcohol, some very colorful language, and eyebrow raise, sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. <laughs> I've had so much access energy. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were doodling. You have been doodling furiously for the last like half hour. Yeah, I just like have had so much energy lately and I'm so excited for this episode. Can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome to Harlots of History. <laughs> Hello! Hello! The podcast where we never really know... What we're doing. <laughs> uh, we contraire. Oh, I never know what I'm doing. Karami always knows what she's doing. I never... <laughs> I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm always headed in the right direction. <laughs> I'm usually headed in the wrong direction. I have a terrible sense of direction. I'm constantly, like... I literally, if I don't have someone in the car with me, I will turn... the Like, I will go the same way. You know, if I take a right, and then a right, and then a right? I'll take a right, 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 out. The other way, instead of taking a left, 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 I'm like really bad with directions. (laughs) It's okay. I'm sometimes like when I'm directing my husband, partner, uh, sorry, I just, yeah, sorry. I have a hard time still saying I have a husband. Um, So I will be telling him like, hey, take a left. And I totally mean a right. And I obviously know what left from right is. But I feel like I'm like trying to sabotage him <laughs> in a subconscious way because it only happens with him. <laughs> you like turn turn him into like a lake. It's like that office episode where he's like, "This is a lake," and they keep driving in. Yeah, oh, so <laughs> he's funny. like, "That's a cliff." Okay, well, I'm Emily. I'm a stay-at-home dog mom. I guess I could say that again. Stay-at-home dog mom and cat mom. I guess I have cats too. There really annoying but and i'm also a stay-at-home bartender and i'm also finishing up prereqs for nursing school and i'm submitting my nursing school application in a week Woohoo! <laughs> what a long road this has been is what oh emily's my God. gonna say when she graduates as valedictorian what a long <laughs> crazy journey this has been no i'll say i'll say it in a british accent don't do it no, I told you when I was like when I really make it, I'm getting a British accent. I decided that's what's happening. Trans- and who are you? Don't they call that transatlantic? Aren't you gonna do like a transatlantic one? Like Moira. Hers is even different. What I don't even know what hers is. They, I don't think anyone knows what hers I love is. it. Oh, and I'm Kara Mia. I am a Midwestern transplant in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think I can officially say I'm from Washington now because I have lived here like eight, nine years, eight years. You've lived there a long time. Yes, and I have 
a daughter who I co-parent amazingly with her dad with. And then I have two amazing toddlers with my husband. And just kind of muddling through motherhood. I absolutely love my children. I love you going on adventures with them. But like you have to stop clicking your pen. Oh sorry. (laughs) Put the pen down. Stop it. (laughs) Um I absolutely love my children, but I hate the mundane day-to-day stuff sometimes. I it's think like, we're all right there with you. Like we've <laughs> all been doing the same shit. I'm like every day for the last year. Like I don't I don't I'm so sick of like I'm so sick of eating the same thing and making dinner every night and like not having someone me, wait on me. For me, I just look at the mess of Okay, I believe in like creative, constructive play for my kids. So like not electronic toys, right? And this is where I'm kicking myself because every day I have to pick up a hundred pieces of Mr. Potato Heads, uh, like all the Legos, all the blocks, all the train tracks, all the dress up clothes, all the this, all the that. And I ask my kids to pick up and it is just, my, it is the biggest test of my patience I have ever come across. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just like painfully thinking like my son the other day. I was like, Alfred, I need you to pick up. No. I'm like, Alfred, you have to pick up. I was like, no. I was like, well, why are you saying no? He's like, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> He's learning from you. And like, <laughs> let me remind you, he is not yet three. Yeah, he's almost three. He's checking me. Like, the other day, I was, like, taking, like, all their bath toys are, like, in strategic places in the bathtub so I could, like, get things down if I want them to play with at that time because, obviously, I get soaked every bath. (laughs) (laughs) So, he had, there was this one piece that fell, and it fell on his head. It was just, like, a sponge. And I was, like, oh, but I'm sorry. And he's, like, mom, it's not nice to hit. Say you're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Alfred is, like, I'm so excited to see him because last time I saw him, he was, like, he was very uninteresting. I was going to say he was a blob that didn't that didn't acknowledge my existence. And I was like, hi, Alfred. And he was just like, like he gave me like eyes and then ran away from me. And now he's like a person. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Um, who are we talking about today? Okay. Um. Well, today we are continuing with Black, or I guess finishing because your episode was really long. <laughs> it's yeah. a three-part episode. I love how um, we're like, we're going to do four people. Nope. <laughs> we did two people. Well, okay. Josephine Baker was like 50 people in one. So technically, we did 51 people. We did 1,001 people. So yeah, today we are talking about Ma Rainey. Oh, I'm so excited to learn. Yeah. And so, I, so I'm sure this is like a household name now because of the movie that just came out on netflix with viola davis who i love but it was you know she is so ma rainey is so influential and it was really hard to find a lot of information about her and one thing that i ran into was that a lot of the articles i found on her there was a lot of really good ones but they all came out within the last year in response to the movie and that's what a lot of them were saying was that like you know she this movie really brought a voice to someone that hasn't actually had one for how freaking influential she is. I mean, she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, yeah. really? Yes. But like, and like she influenced so many people. And like, 
She one of her songs is in the Library of Congress, and like what? That's awesome. I'll talk about this all at the end, but like yeah, and like she like the USPS did a commemorative stamp on her. Like there are some books on her, but there wasn't like you would think there would be a lot more articles. There'd be a lot more. Um, and actually, again, I, I talk about this. Um, her death was actually never recorded, and New York Times just what? wrote an article. It was recorded, but it wasn't reported. Sorry. New York Times released an article in 2019. Hold on. I think it was Overlooked. Oh, yes. So New York Times has a series called Overlooked, which is about people who are really influential in history or really remarkable that have their deaths have never been or were never reported on at the time. So they have this and from like 1865 onwards. So which is a really cool series. But she was one of the people. And then I think I think it was last June or the June before they did a um they did like the queer community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a really cool like series. But yeah, she her death wasn't really we'll get into it, but honestly, it's like there should have been obituaries, there should have been all this stuff and you know, white supremacy and patriarchy and misogyny and all that stuff. It a really lovely cocktail. That. Yep. Yep. Okay. So first, um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the blues. And again, like this is a really kind of dumbed down version. There's so much more history and so much more to it than I can even, I, I can't even tell you, like, especially, you know, as a white woman. Yeah. So, but this is just, this is just what I'm, getting from articles and stuff so this is a little background loose for white dummies (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's what it is okay so between 1916 and 1970 more than six million black americans relocated from the south to cities in the north midwest and west in what was known as the great migration this was due in large part to the jim crow laws of the south which made it difficult for black workers to earn a living wage on top of mass destruction of crop due to bull weevil epidemic of 1898 and I don't know what a bull weevil is, but it's fun to say. And, of course, frequent violence and, violence and lynchings by the quote-unquote dissolved KKK. Because it was, you know, apparently dissolved right after the Civil War. But it obviously wasn't. Nope. Um, today. Yeah. When World War I erupted, industrial opportunity for black Americans in cities like Chicago exploded. Between, 1910, between 1910 and 1920, <laughs> the black population in New York had grown by 66%. 148% in Chicago, 500% in Philadelphia, and 611% in Detroit. <laughs> um, of course, working conditions in the factories and slaughterhouses were extremely dangerous, and the wage of workers was nowhere near the wage of a white worker. Race tensions continued to increase with the Great Migration, fueled by white supremacy, systemic racism, economic inequalities, and um, culminated, um, I say culminated, but obviously it wasn't a culmination just at that time, um, in the Chicago race riot of 1919, which resulted in 38 people dead, 537 injured, and 1,000 black families homeless. So this reminded me a lot of what happened in the St. Louis riots, because wasn't that also in 1919? Mm-hmm. Or was it a 19, 17, 1915, 1917, okay. but right around the teens, yeah. yeah. Right, so it's you know, happening all over the country. So, because tensions were high, black neighborhoods and communities began to emerge within the bigger cities, which, of course, led to movements such as the Harlem Renaissance and the popularization of blues music. Blues music, while often known as quote-unquote slave music, is an artistic expression born from the descendants of slaves in the aftermath of the Civil War. Enslaved, thank you. Um, 
born from the descendants of the enslaved in the aftermath of the Civil War, when lynching and racial turbulence was extremely heightened. The songs at the turn of the century described the experiences of free black men and women. There was a change in tune where the songs began to call out white supremacy, bring attention to violence and hate crimes happening constantly, and lament the economic hardships, including the bull weevil that plagued farming industry. Again, bull weevil is just really fun to say. <laughs> but what is it? Is it a creature? Yeah, it's it's, it's like, like a it, little like I think dude. it actually bull weevils attack cotton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a cotton industry that was yeah. Like, yeah. It was like a big issue. Don't ask me so, why I know that. <laughs> I don't know, but you, you had a like look of recognition when I said bull. I know yeah, it too, like, but it's I've like, heard, it's I've, like heard common. It, I've heard it in like a lot of books and it's just like literally I think it just destroys cotton plants and I just think of weevils as all gross. Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like I feel like they're like in the earwig family, and I'm terrified of earwigs. Oh, are they? I was thinking of like a little like I don't bunny. know if they are. I don't know. No, no, no. They're a bug. <laughs> they're a bunny. No, they're definitely they're a. Okay, hold on. We have I'm to all show it up. I'm looking it up. I, I want to see exactly what it is too. Oh God! Oh my God! I definitely was thinking of a bunny. Oh, they're gross. Oh yeah, they're like little mites. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I thought it was like a cute bunny. No. Why like would bunnies bunny. devastate the economy? They wanted the cotton to be like their tail. I don't know. They like like cotton in their nests. They're cute. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they're gross. Don't look up a bull weevil. And now I see why. Ugh. Okay. I feel like it's on me. Um. <laughs> so Angela Davis writes, quote, by contrast, the popular song formulas of the period demanded saturine and idolized non-sexual depictions of heterosexual love relationships. Love relationships that were not compatible with the dominant etherealized ideolo- ideology of love, such as extramarital relationships, domestic violence, and the ephemerality, it's a hard word to say, of many sexual partnerships, were largely banished from the established popular musical culture. Yet these very themes pervade the blues. What is even more striking is the fact that initially the professional performers of this music, the most widely heard individual purveyors of the blues, were women. End quote. Whoa. I didn't yeah, know this that. is really interesting book. Yeah, no, there's like Billie Holiday, um, yeah. Betsy Smith. Yeah, Ma Rainey. Like blues was, you know, the classic blues that was between like, you know, the 19, like in 19... The end of the 19-teens to, like, the end of the 1920s was, like, a a lot of women. Of course, there's, like, Louis Armstrong as well. There was, like, a lot of other men. But a lot of the famous names you hear were women. That's amazing. So the blues genre was really especially important in creating a space for black female sexuality that wasn't there before. Um, And, yeah, it's it's really interesting if you look, you know, at the lyrics, and we'll, we'll get into it. But it's just giving a voice to... The the women of the blues movement were giving a voice to female sexuality, and there was also the sexual revolution that was at, like the nineteen twenties sexual revolution, mm-hmm. which I was like, I really want to look more into because that was like you know, but yeah, I mean, we explored it a little bit when we were talking about sex working in um, the West, which of course we're gonna largely expand upon. Uh, remember how they're in response that women were in a quote unquote becoming more liberated in a way, but then the response was like mm-hmm. double fold member. Cause it what? was in, it was like the whole temperance movement was going on at the time. I, was as well. say, I think we've touched upon it when we were talking about, I don't know who someone in the 1920s 
Chicago. Um, I don't remember who it was, but someone. And then we've also talked about with like Eleanor Roosevelt and stuff and like the women's movements and stuff. There's also like a lot of like, you know, sexual liberation that was there. I mean, we so, wouldn't see it as liberated by today's standards, but. But it was liberation from, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm Yeah. It was, but it was like women were coming out, I think, during that time too. And there was a lot of like openly bisexual and open, openly gay women at that time that there hadn't been before. And of course, like nowhere near liberation, but there was a lot of, a lot of advances made in the right direction, which mm. of course nowhere near where it should have been, but you know what I mean? There was something. There, 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 there was something. Was, there was talkings. There was rumors. There was talkings. People yeah. were talking. <laughs> so this is um, one of Ma Rainey's lyrics that I really like. I don't want no man to put no sugar in my tea. I don't want no man to put no sugar in my tea. Some of them are so evil. I'm afraid they might poison me. <laughs> I really like that. I just like had one. I just like had a like a shiver down my spine because I'm wondering. Do you remember how I have? Yes, the sugar. I have in my, the coffee. So I I have um, no sugar tonight tattooed on my shoulder from the Guess Who mm-hmm. song. And I'm wondering if they were directly influenced by that song because the lyrics go, no sugar tonight in my coffee, no sugar tonight in my tea. Maybe. They probably could have. I mean, she influenced a lot of people. She influenced, like, Janis Joplin. Mm. Yeah. So. Sorry, I shouldn't say influence. I wonder if they directly ripped it off. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) It was an homage. Um, Ma was born Gertrude. Oh, my mom's trying to FaceTime me. Sorry, Mom. Ma was born Gertrude Pridget on on some date and some year and some state. That's amazing. <laughs> Her birth remember, year differs. Do you yeah. Remember, do you remember the good old days when you could remain a mystery? Yeah. So her birth year differs depending on the source. The 1900 census indicates that she was born in 1882 in Alabama. The 1910 census indicates that she was born in 1886 in Georgia. <laughs> According to Ma, she was born in April 26, 1886 in Georgia. Um, and, you know, given that she said this and that she returned to Georgia at the end of her career, that's probably the most accurate. But, you know, as an article from uh, worldcareerstory.org points out, researchers tend not to believe her. <laughs> Which, you know, is typical of white men mansplaining her birthday. <laughs> also, though, also, though, you know, as we ran into with a lot of um, uh, a lot of people who created this image for themselves, too, they tended to erase their past because it was painful and, you know, or it just didn't suit their narrative, too. So if she had a history of erasing her past, you could also see why people wouldn't believe her. Because that was, like, the problem even with Josephine Baker is she, you know, she would constantly give different accounts of her life. That was a thing, too, is that, like, she's also claims that she invented the term the blues, which is, like, not really... I mean, it's like probably didn't happen, but it's like, I mean, I love her confidence. I do. She's like, I invented this. So she was the second of five children born to Thomas and Ella Pritchett. And not much is known about her early childhood at all, which is like, we really run into that a lot. Her father died in 1896 and her mother went to work for the railway of Georgia. She started performing publicly at age 14 with a bunch of Blackberries of you at her first public show at the Springer, Springer Opera House, which I think the bunch of Blackberries is, like, really cute. That is really cute. 
She began to travel with other vaudeville acts, and in 1902, she first encountered the blues when she heard a woman singing a blues song. She loved it so much, she started singing the song at the end of her shows as an encore. Oh. Yeah, so it was like a, this woman, they were like in a vaudeville like camp, and this woman like came and was singing this really sad song about, you know, a man leaving a woman, but the blues can be just so like, ethere- like ethereal and like kind and, of like spooky cons- in a cool way. Consuming. Mm-hmm. It like yeah, it like it like, like pierces through to your soul. It truly does. The blues do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of her songs, and it's like I really like them. Yeah. So, um, she traveled throughout the South, and she began to hear more and more songs, and the music really spoke to her. So she added, kept adding them to her act. In 1904, she married William Pa Rainey, who was a singer, dancer, and comedian, and began to be known. She began to be known as Ma Rainey. It's like Ma and Pa. And I tried to look him up, but there's literally no information on him. He doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page. Like, so he goes down as another person that is famous for being her husband, which, which I like. Which we love. Tally. Which we love. We gotta start keeping a tally. We should. Oh my gosh, we need to. What are, so is Josephine Baker had one, and then Madame de Pompadour had one, and then Ma Rainey. There you mm-hmm. go. Um, so I, I looked him up. According to findagrave.com, he was born in 1873, which had made him, would have made him 31 and her 18 when they got married. So I did read somewhere that they were married in 1914, but most sources seem to say 1904. So either that's like a typo or just, you know, again, like historians, resources, especially when it comes to women of color. It's back and back in the turn ago. of the yeah. century. Yeah. Yeah. So together, Ma and Pa formed the Alabama Fun Makers Company. And, but 1906, they joined Pat Chappelle's Rabbit's Foot Company, which was super famous. And they were billed as, this is what they were billed as, the Blackface Song and Dance Comedians, Jubilee Singers, and Cakewalkers. Which the Cakewalk! I, the Cakewalk! Remember, we learned about the Cakewalk. It was at the end of a, of a traveling show, usually. What was it? We learned about it in... Yeah, Joseph- they would... Yeah, remember her mom was really good at the cakewalk. Mm, you put, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. put a glass of water on your head, and then you would do oh, yeah. without spilling a drop. And if you did that, then you would win a cake. But it was, like, extremely talented, and you had to do this, like, really cool strutting walk to not spill a water but still dance with your partner. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, I want a cake. I'm hungry. So Mon and Pa toured together as vaudeville performers, and in 1914, they created their own company titled Rainy and Rainy Assassinators of the Blues. Ooh, that's Ma, cool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry, I got shivers. I was like, whoa. But I feel like it should be called Ma and Pa, but also that's like not as like cool. Like Rainy and Rainy is like cooler. So Ma's also said that she's responsible for creating the term the blues as the story goes when asked by a reporter what's that you're singing she was like oh it's the blues but it's also like "Eh." so um you know whether or not she actually invented this term it is clear that she was absolutely a pioneer at this time and Mm -hmm. was responsible for the style of music that is now known as the classic blues her stage presence was born on the vaudeville stage but, quote, while Rainey learned, leaned into onstage maximalism, she was also mesmerized by the blues guitarist she saw on the road who took a more Spartan, improvisatory, and emotionally raw approach to their music, end quote. And that is from um, Time Magazine article. Ma spent winters in New Orleans, where she met and mentored Bessie Smith, as well as Louis Armstrong and other popular blues artists. Really? It is widely 
Yeah. It is widely rumored that Ma and Bessie were an item, although there's no proof, but it probably happened. And also, like, I doubt there'd be proof at this time. But they were very openly, both openly bisexual women as well. Hmm. And Bessie was kind of like her mentor, or she was her mentee, and then they were kind of like friendly rivals because Bessie surpassed her. I, and I don't know if she, she didn't surpass her in talent necessarily, but it was Maybe like about popularity. Money wise. Yeah. And she was working for a better record label and she was getting better. Like her sound recording was better. Mm. Um, so Ma and Pa separated in 1916 and Ma started her own performance company, Madam Gertrude Ma Rainey and her Georgia smart set. These names, and I just like I just like how these names are such a mouthful. <laughs> they are. In uh, in 1920, Marmy Smith broke records for being the first black woman to be recorded. And three years later, Ma was discovered by J. Mayo Williams, Paramount Records producer, and made her first eight recordings that December in Chicago. So December of 1923. One of the things that made her stand out from other artists at the time was that she actually wrote at least a third of her songs. Whereas most of the other females blues artists at the time were performing songs written by other people. Mm. Yeah. Um, her songs were essential in helping to usher in new, a new era of female sexuality and sexual autonomy. Angela Davis writes, quote, the subjects of Rainey's songs, like those of other blues women, make decisions to embark on various journeys because they have been hurt deeply by their sexual partners, but refuse, even in their pain, to rel- relinquish their own agency. End quote. That's nice. I know. I know. Powerful. I I shouldn't say nice, but that's really powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. In 1924, she recorded C.C. Ryder with Louis Armstrong, which was later inducted into the Library of Congress in 2004. And over the course of her career, she recorded 97 different songs that not only influenced the listeners and musicians of her time, but inspired a genre and many other artists for decades to come. Ma was coined Mother of the Blues, Songbird of the South, Goldneck, Woman of the Blues, and Paramount Wildcat, <laughs> which I was confused about, but then I remembered she like worked for Paramount. So, <laughs> um, her songs brought in a new era of music, not just for all Black Americans, but for Black women specifically. Uh, Andrew Chow, for I believe this was a Time Magazine article. I have it at the end. Andrew Chow writes: In an era dominated by white tin pan alley composers. Rainey imbued her songs with the depth and diversity of her own experiences, as well as those of other black women, portraying anguish, rage, euphoria, love, sexual desire, and much more. They w- wield pistols, car- carouse until the morning, dodge the police, and sleep around for revenge. End quote. And I have a lot of quotes in this, but I just there's a lot of people that said it way better oh, than I could. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like really well-written articles about it. So, um, So, for instance... The lyrics of Oh Papa Blues are, Oh Papa, think when you away from home, you just don't want me now, wait and see. You'll find some other man making love to me now. Papa, Papa, you ain't got no mama now. Okay, this is also <laughs> extra funny because to our kids, I mama and my partner is Papa. <laughs> so I, I call know. myself mama on a daily basis, like tons of times in the third person. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you ain't got no mama now. And Kimberly Mack states that Ma, quote, transgressed these ideas of white middle-class female respectability. Through storytelling mm-hmm. and both the words that she sang and also her lifestyle, she fought against heteronormative ideas of what a woman should be. End quote. I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. 
Ma also did not try to hide her bisexuality. She was arrested in 1925 for allegedly having an orgy with a group of women. AKA <laughs> an indecent and intimate party. It was a group of her singers, which I love. And Bessie Smith had to bail her out. <laughs> but it's so funny. I love it. So Prove It On Me, which is a song um, by Ma, written a couple years later, is a reference to this arrest and is widely considered an early ode to lesbianism. Really? D- yeah. What is it called again? Prove It On Me. I'll read you some of the lyrics in a little bit. Okay. Um, the ad released by Paramount leaned into the, quote, gender bending. She was in a three-piece suit and a fedora with three women on, on like, around her and a policeman left on in the corner. Which I kind of find it, like, kind of cringy. Like, the ad, not only because there's, like, a long and violent history between police and black, like, black people, as well as between police and the queer community, but also because it, like, leans into the gender and heteronormative society that dictates you can't be feminine and also lesbian. But also if we consider the lyrics, the time period, and how ungender normative her lyrics were, I think it's also can be seen as powerful. I think it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those, like... It can kind of go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here are the lyrics. Went out last night with a crowd of my friends. They must have been women because I don't like no men. <laughs> it's true. I wear a collar and a tie. Makes the wind blow all the while. Don't you say I do it. Ain't nobody caught me. You sure got to prove it on me. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like kind of like. That's so. Big, that's fuck that. you. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I love it. And then, again, Angela Davis writes that Prove It On Me is, quote, a cultural precursor to the lesbian cultural movement of the 1970s, which began to crystallize around the performance and recordings of lesbian-affirming songs. And also, just yet another example of how, like, black, uh, gay, you know, men and women of all sorts of walks of life uh, pretty much were fighting the causes of, like, you know, gay rights way Mm -hmm. before they were championed by the white community and our, all of our legislation and the activism, everything that we know today was started by black activists. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm not saying that right. Because it's just like something that's like that we've Emily and I have really been learning over the past couple of years. And it's just, it's very awe inspiring. The, you know, the bravery of these people, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no just, absolutely. It just, and, and, you know, yeah. And also intersectionality is something that Emily and I are both like doing our best to really learn about. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's yeah, it's very. Yeah. So if you've ever seen a picture of Ma Rainey, you will see her covered in feathers, sequins, glitter, jewels, and generally just looking incredibly chic. On tour, she was accompanied not only by her band, but by four trunks full of accessories for her ex including ostrich blooms, diamond tiaras, and a necklace of gold coins. In the 1920s, she went on a tour which started in Chicago, accompanied by Thomas Dorsey and the Wildcats Jazz Band, and wound her way through the South and Midwest. She sang for a black and white audience, audiences, and her shows were one of the earliest integrated, integrated shows in the Jim Crow South. And the audience absolutely adored her. What are you doing? Just looking at her. Oh, okay. <laughs> so are you listening? I know, isn't she amazing? Yeah, she is. Not only was Ma a talented singer, writer, performer, but she was also a fantastic businesswoman and an amazing boss. Her band brought in around 350 a week on tour, and Lionel Hampton, 
who was a famous jazz musician, was even quoted as saying that he used to dream of joining her band because she was so nice to her bandmates and always bought them an instrument. Oh, I know. And uh, yeah, everyone just like loved her. And, you know, there was, of course, a large issue with how much money she was making because she should have been making much more money Mm -hmm. given her popularity. Mm -hmm. Records companies were eager to sign black artists and what was known as quote unquote race records, but they weren't eager to pay them well or, you know, give them the treatment they deserved. (sighs) Yeah, it's frustrating because there was like a huge surge of companies trying to sign black artists and put them, you know, because everyone was, but they, they wouldn't give them the money. And so, and none of them. You know, you also wonder like what, because I have no idea, but like, you almost wonder like what, did did the artists, the black artists, have rights to this music? Like, were they able to sue if a white well, they didn't person... Get, they didn't get the royalties. They didn't get the royalties either? M- no, most of them didn't. Um, so that was my next sentence, was that even though Paramount, the Paramount producer was J. Mayo Williams, nine out of ten Paramount artists received zero royalties from the record sales. So I wonder if that means they had no rights either. Cause you wonder, cause like, you know, for example, Elvis Presley is like the easiest example to look at, but like how he went from, you know, mama Thornton and went, mm-hmm. went and stole a lot of songs that were from her. And you just like wonder, did these artists have rights to their music once they recorded them? I don't know because like, as or Ma, it was like when she wasn't with Paramount, she didn't really have a career anymore. Like, and I don't think that her music was lost and it wasn't found again to like the 1960s. Got it. Yeah. I wasn't, I like, I don't know if it was necessarily lost, but like Paramount like went under and then like, it wasn't really like recorded again into the sixties or like released again. Yeah. So, and J Mayo Williams was, I guess like kind of this like monster guy. <laughs> and Paramount was also widely underfunded compared to some of the other record companies. So a lot of her recordings were, lower sound quality than like Bessie Smith mm-hmm. it was her mentor. And I think I've read somewhere that Bessie Smith was getting like 600 a week mm. as opposed to 350 for like Ma and her band. So it's like, Got she it. definitely wasn't. Yeah. So she was fired from Paramount in 1928. Blues was kind of on the way out and swing jazz was in. And then also live pictures are more popular than live performances. So there was like, you know, the talkies, mm-hmm. the talkies, Tackies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she continued to live in Chicago and perform, but her life after Paramount is really not well recorded. And kind of not until, so in 1935, her mother and her sister died. And she returned to Columbus, Georgia, where she bought the Lyric and Airdome movie theaters and managed them until she died in 1939 of a heart attack at only age 53. So she bought two different movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And manage them. Can you imagine, like, what kind of, like, movie theater boss she would be? It'd probably be really cute. I wonder if she, like, got on the stage and announced each movie. I bet she did. (laughs) It's cute, though, yeah. I actually think it's really, yeah. And she probably, like, found a ton of community doing that, too. Yeah, and, and, like, I think that also was, like, she moved back to Columbus, Georgia, so that also goes into, like... Her saying she was born in Columbus, Georgia, that's probably correct, because otherwise, why would she, you know, go back to that place? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she had a heart attack at age 53. Oh, that's so young. 
I know. It's super young. And yeah, as I talked about at the beginning in 2018, the New York Times ran an article in the series Overlooked about people who have made history, but whose deaths went unreported. And I mean, like the fact that Ma Rooney was so influential and yet both her death and her profession were not reported in 1939 is extremely problematic and also reflective of music culture dominated by white supremacy and misogyny. Yeah. And yeah, as I said, like I had, I, a lot of the articles that I found on this were like, like recent. And even the Wikipedia page that I looked at, like, Everything that they had on that page, like most of what they had was stuff I'd already taken out of like the three or four articles that came out in the past year. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can't imagine what that page must have looked like two years ago. Like would have been really, really small. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And she has influenced artists such as Janis Joplin and Bonnie Raitt who drew inspiration from both her style of voice and her lyrics. I love and them both so much. I know. I was just listening to Bonnie right the other day. Really? <laughs> yes, because it makes so much sense. Okay, so really quickly, I want to talk about something really fun, really quickly, before we keep going. So I recently, I don't know if Emily's the same way, but I have a really hard time listening to quote-unquote sad songs or songs that make me like hardcore feel. Um, But I recently maybe a couple of months ago, listened to an NPR episode about how um, it was just like breaking up in all these different forms and how this woman, when she was breaking up with her boyfriend, she went on a quest to like find the best breakup songs of all time and to write her own. Mm-hmm. And of, of course it, this, it was just like, you know, most of the breakup songs she like was into and she accumulated was white singers and stuff like that. But it led me on this journey of like listening to songs that are sad or that make me feel angry or make me feel emotional. And it's so healthy and it's so good for you. It is really good for you. It's and, like the, the catharsis. And Bonnie Raitt has one of my favorite songs of all time that says, I can't make you love me. Oh, yeah. Remember? I, if you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it just, like, makes me, um, I, I, I can see how Ma Rainey influenced her, and that does make me really happy. But I would love to hear some of uh, the Black artists that she influenced, too, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, yeah, and I know that, like, you know, like, there were there were a lot like Bessie Smith and Louis Armstrong, she definitely influenced them directly. And a lot of, yeah, directly. And like also just a lot of the blues back then as well. Like a lot of the blues artists were being influenced by her and like, you know, blues kind of went into jazz and like, it kind of like all flows into one and the other. So it's like, she really was like a huge influence on like music as we like, as it's progressed throughout the years. And she, her focus on black female sexuality also influenced Alice Walker, Walker's the color purple. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. She she was like, sorry, were you going to say something? No, that's so cool. Sorry, I just like, she she did so much. I know. And in 1983, she was inducted into the Blues Foundation's Hall of Fame. In 1919, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then in 1994. I cannot believe it took them till 1983 to induct her into the Blues Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. Well, it also took them like you know, to what, like a hundred years to write an article about her. So, <laughs> and in 1994, the U S post office commissioned a 29 cent stamp in her honor. 
And in 2016, the first annual Ma Rainey International Blues Festival in Columbus, Georgia was founded. <gasps> uh, I know. Do you want to go to that? Like, how bad are you, you kidding me? Okay. So, growing up around Metro Detroit, I, my parents, even though they weren't quote unquote like listening to music, almost every festival, food festival, anything we went to in Detroit had jazz and blues. So I always associate like jazz and blues with like summer in the city and like, you're like, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I love that so much. Yeah, totally. I, I really want to go to that. <laughs> um, and oh, we'd eat so about. good. We'd eat so go good. Ahead. Sorry. I'm so hungry. <laughs> That would be amazing. I know. Well, we can go places again. She's also been written about by Sterling A. Brown mm. in a poem. And, of course, by August Wilson, who was the author of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, which was a play written in the 1980s. And so in that play and in the movie, what I, I learned was that Ma Rainey is real and all the characters are not real. Like, she was the only one that's, like, actually existed and all the other ones are just they're like based off people or things or like you know themes that were happening at the time but none of the other characters were actually like really real so she's really the only one um but she has been portrayed by actresses like Whoopi Goldberg and of course Viola Davis Viola Davis was so good I love her she was so good in that movie it was ridiculous how amazing she was She's so good. She's like so good in everything. She's so good in everything that she's in. Mm -hmm. Very versatile actress. Very versatile. She's very versatile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, so, I mean, that's what I have. And I like, I wish I had more, but it was, there's just most of what I have is like basically her influence and not really much about her life. And of course, like, as you can see from this, she had like a ton of influence yeah. Well, also, it's just, like, good for you to get us talking about her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and that was the thing is that, like, you know, like I said, like, the movie coming out recently on Netflix, like, you know, the Marini's Black Bottom. So that was a song she wrote. And that play by August Wilson was, like, a really, you know, interesting play. And it was really, it was a really important play. But it's, like, it doesn't, it doesn't she's the only one that was real and everyone else was fictionalized, but it is based on things, you know, it's like happening where there was a lot of like white producers in the music industry. And like, uh-huh. you know, there were not a lot of people of color making the decisions. Of course, her producer was black, but he was also did not like, he didn't have anyone else's interest in mind except for his own. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So everyone go to Spotify and they have like literally 20 CDs. I've been listening to her like the past couple days and yeah, her stuff is really amazing. I actually, it's funny cause I, I looked so she has a song called, it was like shave, shave them dry, shave them dry. Yeah. So shave them dry blues. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but there's another song that was written 10 years later, just called shave them dry. That's really, really dirty it's so dirty like i was blushing yeah. and it was in the 30s and i was like writing down the lyrics for this song i was like oh my god because i was listening to her song and i was like i don't hear these lyrics but this it's like that shave them dry i forget who it was written by but like 10 years later it's amazing it's like the dirtiest song i've ever heard 
And then it like lets you jump off into some amazing more black blues artists like Bessie Smith and Mm -hmm. Alberta Hunter and Memphis Mini, who I personally really love. And I also there's Big Mama Thornton and then there's Mammy Smith, who I actually really love. And yeah, Yeah, and she was the first um, black woman ever recorded. Mammy Smith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I yeah. Spotify has a really great blues playlist and I yeah, her songs are 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 so good. Um, so real quick, my sources were Ma Rooney is best known as a pioneer of the blues, but she broke more than musical barriers by Andrew Chow for Time Magazines. All they want is my voice, the real story of Mother of the Blues, Ma Rainey by David Smith for The Guardian. Overlooked No More, Ma Rainey, the Mother of the Blues by Giovanni Rissanel for the New York Times. Blues Legacies and Black Feminism, Gertrude Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, and Billie Holiday by Angela Davis. The Historical Roots of Blues Music by Lamont Hurley Sr. for AAIHS.org and History.com and Wikipedia. But Wikipedia really didn't tell me anything new that I got from everything else, so. Well, I am now going to be (laughs) listening to the blues and drinking red wine while I clean all night. (laughs) I've been listening to the blues like constantly, <laughs> nonstop. I feel like yeah. there's going to be a lot of like twisting and a little bit of grinding. It's so good. I love. It's so good. It's. I. Just, I want to. It, it touches. It touch. It touches a different chord in you, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It absolutely does. It like it like speaks to my old soul. That's why when anyone ever says to me like, "Oh, I don't like blues. I don't like jazz," and I'm like, "Shh." You just haven't heard your kind of jazz or your kind of blues yeah. yet. You know, you haven't found your person, you know. You can't all be, like, grouped into one. It's also, like, personal, like, deeply personal and, and different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such – it's and also, I think it makes a lot of people so uncomfortable because it is arguably one of the most vulnerable types of music out there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, mm-hmm. like – you know, we were talking about it just like ushered in this whole new wave of like. Well, we wouldn't have rock know. and roll without the blues. Yeah, I know. And I think Elvis Presley even recorded some of Ma Rainey's songs. Really? Mm hmm. Well, yeah. I have different feelings about him. <laughs> You're not a fan, I can tell. <laughs> I mean, I used to be, but then when you just like, you know. You read about his theft of black women's songs. It makes you extremely angry. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I'm going to have to look into that. I didn't yeah. Know about that. Yeah. Like, you know that Hound Dog is not even his song. Right. And no, most of his songs weren't his. Did he write any of his own? I don't know. I'm sure he wrote at least one. Let's <laughs> hope. Yeah. No, he definitely, yeah, he definitely profited off black women and music that came before him. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, happy harlots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so today I got one. I got one because I, I just came from it. Um, oh, I my, know. I my, know yes, my daughter Zelda. We are in a socially distant martial arts class for her because she was just hitting her hard with being in remote schooling all the time. And we wanted to put her in a safe place where she could be active and, you know, still find some community. But also we could watch her. <laughs> like and monitor how safe the place was being. Um, so she leveled up in her first belt today, and she was so excited the whole time. She was like springing around, 
<laughs> and like, you know, like uh, they were doing different like drills where she had to like, you know, they had to bounce back and forth like while they were like, you know, switching sides. She literally looked like a character from a video game. She just was like bobbing back and forth so much. <laughs> so cute. And she got her love badge. She was the only one to in her class to get her love badge for because we um, did a video of her showing love to her family. So it's really cute. She's the only kid with like love on her uniform. <laughs> My favorite part of the video was when she gave Edie, your, like, almost two-year-old daughter, a hug. And Edie, she was like, Edie, you're my best sister. And Edie just shoved her away. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the face, yes. Yeah, shoved her away. I couldn't stop watching. It was really funny. <laughs> but it was really, really, really sweet. Zelda was so sweet. She was, uh, like, giving everyone hugs. Yeah. Uh, and we what's yours? That. <sighs> I don't know. Is it that you're going to see me in less than a, in a month? Yeah, what are you doing with the cord on your face? I don't know. I'm really like, I'm really hyper right now. Because I, I, your kids are gone for the night. <laughs> you're excited. Um, it is. Yeah. I'm going to see Karamia in what? Is it a month? Just under. What time? What time no, is it's it? No, it's a month. It's a month. It's what date is well, it? Well, no, I'm not seeing. <laughs> what, time, what time of year is it? So like in okay. two days, it'll be a month. Okay, so 33 days. Like, I remember, February's not a full month. It's a, like, cheap okay, month. So 30 days. Yeah. Okay, so I see Karamea in 30 days. That's my heart. And Happy we're going to do, we're going to run t- towards each other in slow motion. Should we, should we put it on our Instagram? Yeah, of course. Rich is going to video it. He's going to have to video it in slow motion, though, because we're not actually going to run towards each other in slow motion. We, 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 we both, we both motion. have, like, too many boobs and curves and everything for that. We haven't seen each other in a year and a half. It's like, I, I can't even, like, fathom how long it's been. I mean, we, we like, talk literally every single I'm gonna day. I'm going to be, like, and- really creepy and smell you or something. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to, like, smell my neck. <laughs> and then you're going to take a lock of my hair. You're going to be like, um, what's, a, what's the movie? Uh, uh, Charlie's Angels with the creepy guy who just, like, oh, clips no, our hair. And- no, 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 don't no, talk about him. Oh, sorry. Oh, he's so creepy. I know. I know. Emily, I have the same just reaction. Let me throw up, please. Don't talk about him. There's <laughs> something about him. It's like visceral. Yes, I can't watch that movie nope. anymore because of him. No, I actually know exactly <sighs> what you mean. Okay, sorry. Um, rabbits. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode. <laughs> and as don't. always, be excited for next week. We don't know what's coming either. <laughs> 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 You'll okay, know what we know. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Our music is by Lloyd Rogers, and our cover art and our editing is by us. If you enjoyed listening, we would be tickled if you left us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. You can always email us at harlotsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our best to get back to you with something witty, snarky, or boring. We are also on Instagram and Twitter as Harlots of History. We love you all, even the haters. Bye.